In the final chapter of his last New Testament epistle, the Apostle Paul reflects upon his life and ministry saying, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In the game of life, some people are good starters, but poor finishers. Do you have any unfinished projects around the house? More importantly, what does it look like to finish your life well? The word respect comes to mind when I consider how the Apostle Paul finished his life in ministry. You may not know the time of your departure, but are you running a good race? And will you finish well? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. C.S. Lewis once said, you can't go back and make a new beginning, but you can start right now and make a new ending. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. What Lewis was talking about, among other things, was finishing strong. All of us, regardless of our past or our present, can start running our Christian race right now and finish well at the end. The Apostle Paul had just this idea in mind when he wrote the book of 2 Timothy. Ron takes us there next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay with us or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to any of our broadcasts on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, 2 Timothy, Keeping the Faith. My uh, high school football coach taught his players how to finish well. Now in the game of football, that means playing hard on every down and through the whistle. You ex-football players know what I'm talking about. You play through the whistle and doing that through four full quarters. Now as players, how did we learn this important uh, life lesson about finishing well from our coach? Well, at the end of every practice, we ran conditioning sprints and we ran them by groups according to our positions, backs and receivers, uh, uh, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers and defensive backs, then special teams. Coach would send us down to the goal line and then he would make his way down to the 40-yard line because we would run 40-yard sprints and he would straddle the 40-yard line, he'd put his hands on his knees and then he'd blow the whistle and we would run. And all he was concerned about, he he didn't watch how we ran the first 39 yards. He wanted to see how we ran across the 40-yard line. And if anybody pulled up or stopped or slowed down through the 40-yard line, he would add to the number of 40-yard sprints the entire team would run that night. Got the picture? And you guessed it, sometimes we ran until sunset. We were there all night long. Because he was trying to teach us in the game of football, as in the game of life, you finish well. You finish strong. Now, in the game of life, some people are good starters but poor finishers. Maybe you have some projects around the house uh, that you started 
Some of the wives are throwing some elbows here. You've started that project, right? But you haven't finished it. More importantly, what does finishing life well look like to you? Maybe you're at the beginning of the game of life. Maybe you're toward the end. Maybe, like the Apostle Paul, you can see that your departure is near. How are you going to finish? Will you finish well? Near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote a second letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And chronologically, 2 Timothy was um, actually Paul's final New Testament epistle. It's the last letter that he wrote. Now, we're taking them as they appear in the Bible, and we still have uh, Titus and Philemon to go in the Pauline epistles. But 2 Timothy is the end of Paul's New Testament letters. In the final chapter of his final written communication, the aging apostle reflects upon his life and ministry, and he says this, chapter four, beginning in verse six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I like to think of these words as Paul kind of running his two-minute drill. If you're a football player or a football fan, you know what I'm talking about. The two-minute drill is something every football team practices so they know how to win the game inside the last two minutes of the game if it comes down to that. And as Paul's personal game clock was winding down, he anticipated finishing well without giving up, without quitting, without slowing down, and in full view of his eternal prize, his eternal reward, we hear the Apostle Paul, this great apostle, claiming his victory, his victory, as he writes some of his final words before Nero severed his head from his body. Keeping the faith, finishing well. I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the book, chapter one, where uh, we see Paul continuing his theme from the first letter on into the second letter, that idea of guarding the deposit that was entrusted to you. Uh, He continues the charge that he uh, made to Timothy in his first letter. In chapter one and verse 14, he even repeats by saying, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We talked about that at length last week. Uh, Paul begins though in chapter one by expressing his sincere thanksgiving for the spiritual heritage Timothy received from faithful members of his family. Paul describes it as a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and uh, your mother Eunice, and now I am sure he says dwells in you also. He encourages this uh, young pastor named Timothy to quote, fan into flame the gift of God. In other words, don't waste your upbringing in a Christian home, a home that is filled with faithful servants of God. Follow that good example as you follow Christ. And I can think of more than a few young people who uh, perhaps grew up in a Christian home that need to heed those words and listen to those words. Listen, if God used your parents or your grandparents to spark faith in you, now you must fan the spark into a flame. 
And let me just pause for a moment and speak to parents and grandparents. Get your kids and your grandkids in church and do not give them the option of whether they're here with you. This is where they'll catch the spark. This is where you light the spark. Starts in the home, but it's deeply connected to a church. I know of some parents today say, well, I don't want to force religion on my kids. You force them to go to, ch- to school, don't you? Get them in church. They're not going to catch the spark sleeping in. Uh, we, we told our kids, as long as you are in our house, we will be in church on Sunday as a family. You say, well, yeah, you were the pastor. That was easy. No, it was more difficult because I was the pastor. A lot more difficult. And we told our kids, when you're on your own, you can make your own decision. But as long as you're under our roof, we're in church. We, we, we didn't have a child-centered home. It was a parent-centered home, right? Amen. You see, Paul, Paul is reaching into the home that Timothy grew up in. He says, man, you, you grew up in a great home where your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, they were uh, passionate about their faith. You learned from them. But that was only a spark, Timothy. Now, fan the spark into a flame. Parents, grandparents, all you can do is give them a spark. It's up to them to own their faith personally. And... Um, I got to move on because we're never going to get through the entire book if we, if we land there too long. Timothy personally embraced the faith in God that he saw modeled in his family, but he must have been timid about it because in chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says to him, Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Apparently, some people felt embarrassed because of Paul's sufferings for the gospel. But this great apostle of Christ admonished Timothy not to be among those who were, according to Paul, ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And Paul goes on to admit that he suffered because God appointed him uh, a preacher, apostle, and, and a teacher. And then he declares with the same confidence, he declares with the same confidence that he wants to see in, in Timothy, Chapter 1 and verse 12, but I am not ashamed, Paul says, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Can you make that declaration? Are you confident of what you have believed in? Do you know whom you have believed? And are you expressing that confidence to every person you run into? Now, Paul closes chapter one by mentioning um, those in Asia who abandon him. Uh, He actually names some names. The name Phygellus and Hermogenes uh, pricked his heart like a thorn bush. I love these Greek names, Phygellus and Hermogenes. If I have any grandkids, I'm gonna suggest Phygellus. Well, no, I probably wouldn't because it's a negative reference here. These are two people who abandoned Paul in his hour of need. Stay with us. There's still more to come from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. 
That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good Courses when you visit our new streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org. That's Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to help others grow in their Christian faith. When you're going through a tough time, isn't it nice to have someone to comfort you? to refresh you. The Apostle Paul had just such a person when he needed it most. Here's Ron and the second half of today's Something Good radio message, 2 Timothy, Keeping the Faith. On a more positive note, he acknowledges, and here's another name I love, Onesiphorus. Say that with me, Onesiphorus. Paul says, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Apparently when others had turned away from Paul, Onesiphorus came along. I I love that name. It sounds like a cool, refreshing stream of water, doesn't it? Onesiphorus. I'm gonna bottle some water and call it Onesiphorus and sell you some. Onesiphorus. Just sounds refreshing, doesn't it? Well, Onesiphorus arrived in Rome. And rather than being embarrassed of Paul and his chains, his imprisonment and all of his sufferings, he sought Paul out and did not stop until he located him and enjoyed some fellowship with Paul and refreshed him during a time of difficulty in Paul's life. Do you have a friend like Onesiphorus? Do you seek people out who you know are going through a hard time simply for the purpose of refreshing them? I I, I hope I hope you have a friend like that. I hope you're a friend like that to others. I have a friend like that in Washington DC. His name is Henry. Colonel Moak, and during a very difficult time years ago in ministry, he was a part of our church. We didn't even know each other, the church was so large, but he sought me out, wrote me a letter, and that has started about a 10-year friendship and relationship. When I was working on this message this week, I texted Henry and I said, how's Onessa Forrest doing? And uh, we we have a mutual kind of refreshing relationship uh, with one another. Well, that brings us to chapter two, where um, with words that have inspired followers of Jesus Christ and committed disciple makers for 2,000 years, Paul says this to Timothy, chapter two, beginning in verse one, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, listen to this, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is Disciple Making 101. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to others who will be able to, well, do the same thing and teach others. The Great Commission echoes inside Paul's rhetoric here. Do you hear the words of Jesus to his disciples? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, The Savior's grand plan is for us to make disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. Boy, where have you heard that before? That's our mission statement, isn't it? To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. In other words, is your life in Christ creating a ripple effect? Are you replicating Jesus in you by making disciples 
who follow him. Start in your home with your kids. Do you know that the primary disciple-making environment is the home? God intended it that way. Parents, grandparents, you are your child's and your grandchild's disciple-makers. Are you being intentional about that? And by the way, it doesn't end when they leave the home. We'll talk more about that later. Now, according to Paul, it takes the tenacity of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, the hard work of a farmer to pull this off, even with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on encouraging Timothy to serve in a manner that God approves. Uh, I love chapter 2 and verse 15 of this book where Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The King James translation of the Bible says, study, study, Timothy, to show thyself approved unto God. I would say the Lord's approved worker must spend time studying God's word so that he can handle it well before the church family. Reminds me of the conversation I had years ago with the search committee here. One of my early conversations, question I had for them was this. I budget 20 hours of my week to study for sermon preparation. Are you okay with that? And I was prepared to walk away from the conversation if they said, well, no, pastor, we're really not, you know, we want you to be out there with the people more and we'll give you 10 hours a week or eight hours a week to study. No, I budget 20 hours a week. Do I always use that much time? No, sometimes I don't, but I budget, it's in my, it's in my calendar. And nothing interrupts that time. And it gets back to this, Timothy, study, study to show yourself approved unto God, study so that when you stand before the congregation, you rightly handle the word of God. There's so much at stake if you don't. 2 Timothy 2.15 always reminds me of a ministry organization called Awana. Awana is this uh, disciple-making ministry to children and to students. A-W-A-N-A, they got their name from this, uh, approved workmen are not ashamed. I like that. I like that. Now, the Lord's approved workmen also, Paul says, as he goes on in chapter 2, avoids irreverent babble, which swerves from the truth. There's a lot of irreverent babble going on today, not just in the culture, but even in pulpits. Just irreverent babble, just gobbledygook that has nothing to do with the Word of God. They're swerving from the truth. Paul uses that word again. We talked last week about you know, what it's like to be on the ultimate road trip through the Bible and maybe driving your, your car down the road and you see somebody swerving this way or swerving that way. That's a dangerous person. Danger, danger. Drive away from that person. Don't come anywhere close to that person. And the person who swerves from the truth, who swerves away from the word of God, preaches their own opinion or something else, dangerous person. The the, the approved workman of God avoids irreverent babble. Furthermore, the pastor who's an approved workman must rightly handle himself. Himself. Uh, Paul urges Timothy, he says, depart from iniquity. Stay away from sin. And then he launches into an illustration about honorable and dishonorable vessels inside a great house. He concludes by saying, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, 
He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Are you an honorable or dishonorable vessel in God's house? Are you departing from iniquity? You know, we, we all, uh, whether we're pastors or missionaries or staff members or lay volunteers, um, the ministry that we do is an overflow of who we are. What, what, what's overflowing in your life? Anything that you need to depart from? Um, we need to cleanse ourselves, set ourselves apart from that which is unholy. Then we'll be useful to the master in this great house called the house of God. Ironically, the, the name Timothy comes from two Greek words which together mean God honoring. You're either an honorable vessel or a dishonorable vessel. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, live up to your name here. Live up to your name and make sure that you, uh, uh, you guard yourself and take care of yourself here. One of the ways uh, to live a God-honoring life, he goes on to say, is to flee uh, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then finally, to wrap up chapter two, an approved workman, Paul says, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. You know, some people are just looking for a fight. They're just looking for an argument. And that's not befitting of a pastor or a lay leader or a missionary, or, or, or somebody who's doing the Lord's work, either vocationally or otherwise. He says, be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting, listen to this, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Well, I had to learn that early on because there were a few people I wanted to correct and I might not have been so gentle about it, but you know, a correcting and reproving but with gentleness. My high school football coach didn't have a gentle bone in his body. He was about five foot four, but screamed like a wild man. And we came that close to state championships. And then I graduated. And later, they won state championships. And I was told by later players, he changed his coaching style. He was more encouraging and more gentle. Uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. Who are the people in your inner circle who have influence in your life? Even Jesus had a group of close friends who were like-minded. How much more do we need those kinds of people in our lives? You're listening to Something Good Radio. Today's message, 2 Timothy, Keeping the Faith, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. Check out the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of Bible teaching from Dr. Ron Jones to help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The power of prayer is undeniable. And today, we'd like to pray for you. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to share your request with us. Click on Explore and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You option. That's somethinggoodradio.org. We also want to say thank you because your prayers and financial support make it possible for Ron to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your donations do make a difference. And when you give a gift this month, we'll send you an ebook that goes along with the series you're hearing now, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. 
This special resource covers all 13 of the Pauline epistles. Request your digital download today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. The word translated inspiration literally means God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. It speaks of how the Holy Spirit supernaturally influenced the biblical writers so that they wrote what was true, accurate, and trustworthy, making it God's word, not theirs. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Second Timothy, Keeping the Faith. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.